Hello everyone, it's Elijah Carvajal here, the host of the Shut Up and Teach podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me uh, on this new episode. Uh, This episode is called Conversations from the Couch, and that's exactly what it is. Literally, it's a conversation from the couch that I had with my girlfriend, Tracy Taylor. Tracy Taylor is an art teacher at Garfield Middle School in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's also a Uh, a working artist. She's a landscape painter and photographer. And um, this conversation literally is, like I said, it's literally just a conversation from the couch. Uh, Tracy and I um, have a lot of conversations that we reflect back on and say, man, we should have recorded that. Uh, That way we could could go back and reflect on it. And so we started having the conversation and she caught me and said, this is one that we need to record. And so we recorded this conversation and, you know, we we went back and listened to it and I thought, man, this would be such a great, um, this would make such a great episode. So let's put it up on the, on the podcast. And so, um, that's really what this is. is It's just a spontaneous conversation that I had with, uh, Tracy and, um, we hope that you can take something away from this and, uh, who knows, we might have more conversations from the couch, uh, coming to you in the future. So anyway, sit back, relax. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay, so yes, I brought out the big book, which is really just an oversized large-scale sketchbook that I, I had a student teacher encourage me to do this which I think is interesting because like how many veteran teachers are like, Oh, you're a student teacher. You know, nothing. Right. Or first year teacher. That's like, I don't have anything to glean from you. I learned this from From a a student student teacher teacher who challenged me to do this. Whereas I had been kind of just stacking up like my demo art. And some of it I would even throw away for years. Like, why am I keeping my demo art? I'm going to do another demo for another class. Yeah. So she encouraged me to put them in a sketchbook. But she said, the ones that you keep using over and over and over again, like, yes, keep using them, but you should be modeling how to keep a sketchbook and how to keep a portfolio, like, for real. Like, they need to see you do it. And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. Because I always encourage the kids to keep their stuff together in their portfolios and in their sketchbooks and stuff. So I was like, oh, you're right. I'm not modeling well. So I went and I bought this really nice book. Well, as I like started putting things in, her idea of keeping it was to actually like attach my loose drawings to the actual paper. Mm -hmm. And then I would just open the book. Like a visual journal. Instead of drawing in it. But in my process, at that point, as an artist, glue was very permanent. Yeah. And it scared me. Yeah. So I went and I got all these little plastic envelopes, the clear plastic envelopes, and I taped and glued them to the page so that my drawings, I could just like slide them out and pull them out. I could change them. So it became kind of windows in there. The little little plastic sheets that you put in like binders and stuff that we give to kids. Yeah. And so 
to me, I, I felt like that was, like, a happy medium of, like, permanent place. But, like, mm-hmm. still, I could I could pull one of those out and, and, you know, tape it to the board. Or I could pull it out and put it under a document camera. I could use it to light box, put it behind and trace over the top of it. So, I felt like that was a good, heavy, like, good natural medium. So, by adding all those little plastic sheets, it kind of makes the... the book not close very well but then as I kept adding all of these drawings and all of these things yes it like it's huge it it doesn't even close properly like and yes when I pulled it out I was looking for my notes on a specific lesson I wasn't looking for like a example I was looking for these notes and I because we're virtual learning I couldn't just go to my file cabinet and pull my note. And I thought, well, maybe it's in the big book because I had brought the big book home with me. And so I went looking to see if it was in there, but it's not. And so then I just like dropped it on the coffee table. But yeah, when I dropped it on the coffee table, it really is like the big family Bible of like, kablam! Like, and yeah. Dust everywhere. Yeah. And so... And it does have dust on the top of it because I haven't used it in a year. And the reason I haven't used it in a year is because my teaching methods have changed for remote Virtual learning. teaching. But also, like, okay, so I feel like I'm a teacher on the verge of, like, a new thing. And I've been needing a new thing for a very long time. So I've taught that same grade level the same content kind of in the same way for probably years like three four five six seven years (coughs) I I would do little tweaks I would change little things along the way but the core of what I taught didn't change so I would like change it up enough to make it interesting or I would add new things if I was into it But the core of what I taught and the way I taught didn't change. As an elementary teacher, my job was foundation for then the kids to take that foundational learning to go to middle school. And at middle school, they learn um, how to start applying these things and really to start generating new ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, now that I've moved from elementary school to being a middle school teacher, I haven't needed those examples. I haven't needed that book. What I've needed is a new way of working. And so I feel like I'm on the verge of a new idea. But that book, instead of being like, kablam, the full family Bible, maybe that's just the Old Testament. Because that those examples and that teaching is rooted in discipline-based art education, which is now experiencing kind of this national shift away from um, into more of a holistic approach of personal expression, of, you know, mind, body, or mind, oh gosh, I just learned this, mind, uh, body, spirit, learning, like, um, a student-centered approach, um, very much related with like student choice, not necessarily all the way to teaching artistic behaviors, but just 
design process and design thinking. And so, like, in looking at that book, I'm like, oh, gosh, like, that seems now to not match up with this new idea. So I'm having to, like, think of things differently in a design thinking process. So... If you're if that's the comparison you're gonna go with, just a just a thought here. If that's a comparison you're gonna go with is like the family bible, but no, this is Old Testament. The Old Testament and New Testament do align. They're related. They're related, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those the the Jesus is the fulfillment of of everything in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so so not comparing your work to Jesus, you know, I'm not saying that at all, Jesus, I'm not, not at all. I am not, I am not, not John no Lennon. One, no one compares to you, Jesus, I mean that 100%. But, like, that's the analogy we're using here. So how, so what's the connection? Is the new work coming out, is that the fulfillment of everything that you've had? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and it's, it's interesting how those skills from the old, you know, the old discipline-based art education, those skills still have place and form, but it's a very small place in a grander process, whereas that was the entire process at that time. And so, like, we would go through I would go through teaching the, you know, these processes and these techniques, and then we would create based on those processes and those techniques. Not that it's wine and paint night and every kid drew the same picture. I was never that teacher. But, like, at some point, like, when discipline-based art education started, that's what everybody was doing. Where they were, you know, everybody was was recreating masters. Um, You know, we were you know, recreating Picasso's hands, holding flowers, but we would change it up and make, you know, the flowers different or whatever. And, but every kid would make that project. Well, then I was like, no, I want it to be original. So I had tweaked that. And now, like, I'm comfortable with every kid kind of being at their own level and and having original ideas. Um, But there's a better way to get to those ideas. And so instead of saying, you know, use this technique, it's here's all of the ways you can be inspired. Like you choose like the technique you want to learn. Like you might want to draw using Picasso's observational method. You might want to use Da Vinci's measurement Mm -hmm. method. You might want to do a combination of both. You might want to, you know, use a, a graphic design hack or, you know, you might want to use any of these things. And that's just good teaching practice. Yeah. That is just best practice. I mean, like, the Gen Ed teachers would know, or at least they should know, that there's more than one way to get the right answer. I used to tell, I tell my kids there's more than one way to what, and they all go to skin a cat. Like, that's right. As long as, as a cat gets skinned, does it matter? They're like, no. So you teaching all these different techniques, you know, opening it up for kids to experiment and explore, then gives them that experience and and that knowledge of, hey, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, or this is the type of art that I'm creating today, so I need to choose a different strategy. I can't use 
you know, something from Picasso today because I need to use something from whoever, you know, Diego or, you know, whoever. Yeah, I feel like, okay, so I remember you talking about the way that you taught math Mm -hmm. and how you would teach all these different strategies Mm -hmm. instead of just teaching following a formula. And so I liken it exactly to that, where here's all these different strategies. How are you going to solve the challenge of creating a landscape or a portrait or, you know, a collage or an abstract or whatever? How are you going to, you know, put these together? And so I feel like, yes, this has a place, but it's this very foundational skill is exactly that it's just foundational skill but there's a thousand different techniques to use it and so I feel like once the kids sit down with and look at all of these techniques I feel like it triggers critical thought it triggers self-evaluation and reflection because they may sit down and look at Da Vinci's method and go, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm, or, course. you know, and so that they can find a way that works and so that they can move forward. I also think, and it, when I say this, it's going to sound so terrible, but I think it sets up kids to experience failure in a real way. Where, not that I'm setting my kids up to fail, but I'm setting my kids up to fail. Because in those failure moments of this is really difficult, how do I move forward? It's problem finding and problem solutions and they have to think their way out of it or they have to, you know, apply problem solving strategies or they have to Mm -hmm. come up with a way to solve this challenge. And so I actually feel like it brings another layer of critical thought to creating art that they haven't experienced much. Mm-hmm. And even in my class as a teacher, I'm like, really? I could say that they had critical thought, but was I doing too much scaffolding to the point that they... Or is it that we've been treating school like school and letting home be like home? You know, because think about this. You know, you I you don't play so much anymore with your with your class or you haven't played with this semester's class yet but I you've played among us with your kids before yes um I play among us with my students once a week you know and um there's all kinds of things that they're learning in there problem solving because there's no directions to the game. No, there's it's, not. It's like when our parents would give us Lego sets and throw the, le- throw the directions away. Mm-hmm. Or the like little, hey, these are things you can build. Like, there's no directions. It doesn't even tell them how to complete the task. No. So they are figuring this stuff out on their own as they go. As they go. Now, where's the... D- why are... Why... Do we scaffold too much at school then? I think so. Like, is, I, I'm not saying that we should remove all scaffolds and totally just give kids free reign, but, like, kids can problem solve if they're given the opportunity. Are we not letting our kids encounter enough problems? I think... Are we saving them too? Like, are we saving them 
Yeah. Are we giving them the directions? I'm totally saving kids. I'm guilty of that. I'm I mean, totally I'm totally guilty, guilty of, of doing yeah. that. Um, my uh, assistant principal uh, was the one who just gave me my observation. And she made the comment that, like, something as a suggestion was kind of like, let kids catch themselves more often. Mm-hmm. Like, let them catch themselves more often. Because what happens so much is we say, you know, something like, what's five times three? And they go, uh, five, ten, sixteen, sixteen. And we go, no, 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 no. Like, instead of asking them how they got sixteen. You know, because then it gives them the opportunity to think out loud and and talk through the process of all that. But I'm guilty of that, of going, mm, 16, you might want to check that again. Like, I'm totally guilty of that. I'm super guilty of it. So are we, so I, I don't know. I think that's interesting. Sorry, I know I took that and turned it in a different no, direction. We it's can, so, it's we okay. We can head back down the we can head back but I think it's a conversation that needs to be had like again self-reflection like you've said this for years that I'm one of the most reflective people you know I'm not afraid of self-reflection and there comes a point when I say I either didn't understand the content myself well enough in order to teach it well to small children um I taught the way that I had been taught a lot of times. Um, I think that's natural, though. And I think we it's natural to we teach taught. the way that I had been taught and how the way that I had learned it. Um, I think some of it, too, are those methods and techniques. Like, how many times do we get classes or professional development or you know, learning opportunities as a teacher on methods and strategies of teaching that content. A lot of times not. So there may be a method that you don't understand or you don't know well. Mm -hmm. So we might avoid that or, you know, for whatever reason, I do feel like I put it on me too much as a teacher of let me show you how to do this instead of guiding them in their exploration and their findings and again allowing them to make mistakes and then challenging them on you know their critical thinking or asking okay well how did you get there like mm-hmm. tell me you know explain it to me and I feel like too like I haven't given kids the opportunity to really engage like that where yes they're engaging in art making or they're engaging with research but are they engaging in a way that will create in them to where they can be creators or are they just consuming what I give them Because a lot of what I did previously Hmm. was creating content that they consumed. And my kids could pass an assessment. I mean, don't even get me started on, like, teaching what they need to know on a test for for testing purposes. Because that, that application has proven through research that it is not the best practice. So... 
I, I did create content in an exciting, engaging, fun way that they would learn that content and carry it with them. But now I'm in a position where they have to apply those concepts with their own student voice and choice. And they have no agency. They just falter, like they stop. And they have forgotten all six steps of the design process. They don't, you know, know what studio habit of mind comes next or what tools they could use. They don't know the possibilities. They literally falter because they don't know where to go. They're lost. They don't have a map and they have no agency. It's the equivalent of dropping them in the middle of Salvador Dali's desert and there's melting clocks everywhere. <laughs> I love that painting. I know you do. But like, what does it feel like to be trapped inside that painting? It's going to be a little scary. It's going to be a little, yeah. You know? It's be a little weird. And desolate. And I feel like some of them, and some of our kids don't have enough voice to say, I don't know what to do or I don't know where to go. They don't have the words. And they don't have the language or the words or the confidence to say, I have no idea what you're talking about or I have no idea. Now, my middle schoolers are getting really good at saying, I don't know where to start with this. So we go back to the design process of, okay, well, let's, let's go back. Here's our ask. Here's our big question. Now let's do some visioning and let's, let me take you through some visioning and see. And so, and it literally in that visioning process, it's asking questions. Just, it's almost like rapid fire questions to the kids where then they can come to this idea of a visual for them and then they can go create that visual. But again, even in those moments, a lot of it's teacher driven. They can't do it themselves. So I'm on this verge of a new idea, but how to really recreate the opportunity in my classroom based on this idea of student agency. Mm-hmm. Because if they can do it independently with me in the classroom, they can do it independently without me. Okay, good. I just, so I'm on, yeah, so I the big bible it's so dusty (laughs) like and i even thought for a moment i was like man like i should put that somewhere like i don't even know that some of that can be used per se it's a great thing to keep in order to say this is where it used to be and obviously i'm going to show growth from there but i just feel like i feel like i'm on the verge of a new idea but it definitely has a place, like that big book. Like you said, it definitely has a place, but it's a very small place hmm. in this new idea of how to really apply it. What an interesting connection to, like, with Old Testament, New Testament. Like, Old Testament was like, this is what it is. And Jesus was like, this is how you use it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean... The Holy Ghost moment right there. <laughs> um, that's a good point. Hmm. It's a good connection. 
I mean, not to take it to a religious place, but obviously we like we're people of Christian faith, and so like that forms a cornerstone in our life, and so that that metaphor and that you know allegorical connection is there. But like I just keep thinking, like how many like there's, and obviously there's so many lessons here. Like how do I? This is my twentieth year, so how do I as a veteran come up with a new idea? How do I approach right. an entirely different way of teaching without fear, with, you know, allowing failure to lead me to more questions and more new ideas? How do I tackle that? How do I stretch myself? But I've seen, What tools do I have to use? Yeah. And I've seen you do that already this year. Um with the with the grid method right yeah like first of all teaching in a virtual like i mean it's just for art like it's been difficult that's been a challenge yeah for sure um but then you decided to incorporate the grid method um into your learning so that was a huge first for you and Mm -hmm. it probably felt very shaky why don't you talk about that Actually, it didn't feel shaky. No. So we, you introduced me to the grid method last year. Yeah. And we went to the grid method, we went to Teach Better, the Teach Better conference in November. And when you were setting up your grid in your, in your classroom for fourth grade, I remember I was there. And we were like working it out, like where am I gonna put this thing, and how, what does it look yeah. like, and how do I make this movable, and all of these like moving parts, right? Yeah. So I remember helping you, and but I didn't start using the grid method until this year, like this semester, like and heavily this semester. Yeah. I started last semester just trying to like figure out what I had because I came into a school that had had four art teachers in the last five years. So I didn't know the state of that program. And, you know, what I found was... (sighs) For another episode. (laughs) Yes, that is another episode, how to rebuild a program. Um... And so last semester, but also too, like some of the kids had really great skills and some of the kids did it. Some of the kids have had elementary teachers. Some of the kids haven't in art. So again, there's a place for this foundational learning, which is my art one. I, I, I have to in good conscience, if I'm going to have them applying these skills, it is on me and my responsibility to make sure that they know those skills. Mm -hmm. So I am going to have to cover those skills in art one, um, to make sure that everybody has an equity there. So my art two kids, and now with this new creation of art three, um, my art two kids will move heavily into application. Um, without as much of that skill based review, like teaching the same thing they already know. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll be more, okay, let's review this. Here is this. So they do get a second opportunity 
to like grab onto these skills. Yeah. Cool. Um, but then art three again, like building more applying onto applying. So I didn't start using the grid method until this semester and I did it so that I could keep track of every single kid where they were mm-hmm. because like it's so that individual. The, that is the huge benefit to the grid method is like it made my grading. You saw how fast I got grading done. I was done in like seriously like two hours, like every kid full report card because I knew where every kid was at. Like I didn't have to like, I mean, obviously we have, I keep a grade book and things like that in, in Google classroom, but like the, with the grid, I know where every single kid is at with every concept and the, and the level of their, of their understanding. Yeah. You know, so it just, I mean, it does, it makes your, it makes, I mean, differentiation. I mean, it makes it that much more simple. Yeah. You know? So this new school that I work at, this new middle school, it's a STEM school. We're a STEM magnet school. So with the expectation for our, we have an engineering the future program that uses a very specific design process and the engineering habits of mind, which by the way, are the same as the art habits of mind, but the art habits of mind include two additional ones. So I was like, Oh, I can stay with these art habits of mind. And I've already used the same ones that are in the engineering department, but their design process is fantastic. Like the engineering, the future design process. So last semester, that was another thing too. Like I couldn't go like full on grid because I still had to figure out like using that engineering design process for art. So that kind of took a little tinkering. It's fantastic. I love it. But with the grid, it allows me to adhere to the expectation of our school to use the design process steps, but also for project-based learning my school wants us to do all of our lessons through project-based learning, hands-on student-centered. So I might have kids in, you know, step one of the design process, and I might have kids in step four on a design process and how to keep track of all of that. It was a mess. And so, and there were kids, and really more so than being a mess, I felt like I was dropping the ball on some students and that to me is not okay. So by putting it in the grid, I could allow kids to work together. I could flex group kids depending on where they were at in their project. Um, every kid Mm -hmm. like had some kind of accountability. I check in with every single kid. Now, as far as my grading is concerned, that is the one thing I think that has been the hardest for me in remote learning. I'm actually kind of enjoying remote learning a lot because it's forced me to work with new things, like Mm -hmm. new tools, new way of instruction, redesigning stuff. I like learning and I like new stuff and I like that challenge. So I'm one of those kids where if you give me a challenge, I'm going to rise. Whereas if things get a little stale, I'm going to drop. 
and be mm-hmm. like, peace out. Like, I'll coast yeah. to the point of failing. So my challenge with remote learning is keeping up with the grading because I can't walk the aisles and the rows and the tables and the pathways and the groups right. in my classroom. Right. So they used to they used to have us talk about this like back in the day. <laughs> and I remember when I learned this, it was I, I was I had the same number of years of experience as you do now. And I learned that there was this Japanese style of like classroom management and like stuff that I don't know the Japanese term for it, but I know what it translates to. And it's called, and it's walking the aisles. And so my classroom has always had kind of a plus sign of an aisle in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then an outside path that goes around it. So my classroom has always been set up as a box with like a plus sign. So it's almost like a a quartered square. And I would walk that box all day long to the tune of like five to seven miles a day. And I realized that I had instinctually used this Japanese technique of walking past every kid in and seeing their process every mm-hmm. day. And so being in a classroom face-to-face learning, I could see what they were doing. I could see where they were. My kids remotely, I can't see what they're working on. I can't see what they're doing. Like, right. and a lot of them will come to class and they'll be there for the lesson, but then they won't create until after school's out or they'll wait until an asynchronous day and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to do my art project on Monday. Yeah. And so I'm not physically present laying eyes on a piece of paper coming to life. I miss that magic. Mm-hmm. Like to see that magic and to see the kids exploring things or, you know, or that kid that erases the same line 15 times, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, like baby, it's just a line. Like quit erasing it. Leave it there. Just keep going. I would be, I would be that kid. I'm that kid too though. I would probably, well, no, I would, I would ask for a new piece of paper. You would? Yeah. Just, just give me after the third time of trying to erase it. Because then it's smudged, right? Then it's, like, smudgy, and you can see the other line. Just give me a new piece of paper. I'll start again. Don't even get me started. You've never had an art class. No, I've never had an art class. You've never had an art class. So, yeah. So, in that moment, I would probably sit down and be like, okay, Elijah, what did we we (laughs) learn about sketching versus our dark lines? Like, you know... I would probably give you another little piece of paper and go, okay, let's let's do pencil drills. Like, let's go back and do our pencil, pencil drills. Drinks. I might switch out your pencil, right? Like if, like if you physically cannot get like a light sketch right. line, I might switch your pencil out for like a do, graded but, art pencil. Right, that like, but how would you do that now virtually? Oh, it is, I can't because they're not right there with mm-hmm. me. I have kids working on a variety of devices. So, uh, so yeah. some so of my ask what the differentiation is in that. Case. Some of my eighth graders are using iPads. Some of them use their own devices <clears throat> so that they can use apps that are not available on mm-hmm. our school devices. Um, 
like one of the big ones is Ibis Paint X. I have no idea how to use Ibis. So I just let the kids go with it. I'm like, if that's the app you're comfortable with, go for it. Like, if that's the yeah. one you love, use it. And that circles back to the one of the discussions we had, I don't know how many minutes ago, of like, pick your strategy, pick your, pick your tool, strategy. like... Pick what you want to use to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I allow for that. I have a couple of kids that use Procreate, which I'm learning how to use now um, because I was told that it would be really easy for us to apply for a school license for my for my classrooms for Procreate. Um, so I – and then we have the availability to use Sketchbook by Autodesk, but on our last um, update – it took that app off the, the iPads. And so oh. I'm like, and we have a hmm. work ticket into EdTech about that. Like, hey, took away one of our apps. Like, yeah. But then there's all these free apps that I use, like Sketch.io and Chrome Canvas and stuff that kids have access to. But also, I have always encouraged my kids, like, if you want to work on supplies that you have at home, do it. Well, if you have a sketchbook and you want to work in a sketchbook at home, do it. Well, my... Uh... So there was a, there, a, my kids' special today was actually art. And um, she says, you know, okay, everybody get your, whatever your tools. I, don't, I think they were using colored pen, coloring pencils, I think, um, and paper. And this girl says, I don't have any paper. And she's like, I, so I, I was still there. So I said, hey, just use the notebook that I gave you for the serendipity journal. Um, and, you know, just use that for today. You can just, that can be drawing in your serendipity journal. Like, that's therapeutic, right? So, um, and so the art teacher chimes in and she goes, yeah, she said, and really, she said, you can use anything that is blank. She said, I, she said, if you have envelopes, she's like, you want to write on an envelope because that's all you have, Right. Like, she showed this piece of art that she had made over the weekend, and it was on the back of a map. Nice. Because she didn't have, she is, like, out of that size of paper, and so she found a map and flipped it over and was like, I'm going to make a piece of art on this. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of like, use, your, use the resources that you have, right? That's problem finding and problem, problem solving. Problem finding, problem solving. Those right. are all those learning habits of mind, like, that... That I haven't had an opportunity myself to work with. So therefore, like my kids haven't had an opportunity to really work with them. Like purposefully and mindfully. Like yes, like my kids went through a design process. Yes, we encountered those things in our projects. Yes, we have encountered all of that stuff. But it has been organically, without a label, like just making things work, you know. Mm -hmm. And so now... Like, at some point now that I need to, like, obviously there's a mandate to be mindful because that is the theme of our school and that is how our school works. And so I, I have this very intrinsic, intrinsic need as a teacher to expand my process into really STEAM and design thinking and those kind of things. But now, like, I have to be very mindful about putting a label on them and doing them intentionally. Um, and so, yeah, that's a huge lesson. Okay, 
And I have to think about that ahead of time now. Like, okay, what if you don't have this? But again, what did I do as a teacher? Here's all the things that you can use, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I took away the opportunity for them to say, what can I use to make this? Right. I did it out of wanting to be equitable and to give them guided resources. But again, we go back to when does your guided resources and when does your guidance actually stifle your kids? Like, like I'm having, I'm, oh, there's big things happening on the couch Big today. things happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we could discuss it and get it all out. <laughs> we, can, we can go back and listen to this and then like stew on it some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just like, and again, it's a process. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, where does it go from here? Like, obviously I saw, um, coming off of, cause this is Monday after national art convention. So coming off of seeing workshops and being in workshops virtually that where teachers were doing a really great job and presenting these new possibilities and these new ways and these new ideas, but also, you know, seeing people that I have, you know, known for a while and have been using their stuff to see them take it to the next level and be like, have you considered this as the next level? And so being in that, I'm, I'm riding that high of like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And this is the direction I'm supposed to go in. And then actually having to do it, I'm like a little bit petrified. <laughs> But then to go back, like after this conversation, obviously I'm going to keep going. So to go back and be like, this is what I learned. Like this worked. This is where I failed. Mm -hmm. This is where I learned. Hey, this is a great idea. Like now, as of right now, in what, 15 days, three weeks, you and I are going to sit down and talk about building a grid for art. Mm -hmm. Like I can talk about that all day long now. Yeah. I'm writing all of my curriculum maps using the grid method. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've been working on, I put a fraction, well, it's not entirely done, but it's a fraction of my fraction grid is completed. So, um, that one, but I launched it today. Like, the kids started today on, on that. Last week, my very first grid from this very first semester of me using it was mm -hmm. used as an example. Yes, it was. For our department retreat on curriculum planning and curriculum mapping. Yeah. Um, used it as an example. And then, of course, I'm in the meeting, right, creating more grids and more stuff as we go. And in order to, and like, for people to be able to sit down and understand what's going on, but using that terminology from project-based learning not necessarily the grid method and be like these are my milestones this is the learning objective this is the project like this is the you know all of this stuff all of the pieces of project-based learning are in the grid so mm -hmm. I just changed the labels a little bit so that they could understand kind of what I was doing um and so people seeing that they they weren't intimidated by it. They just were like, 
ooh, that's an interesting way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, let me give you a little taste of it because it's going to change your life. And now, like, and, and my principal has said, after looking at the way that I plan, that it's the most sophisticated lesson planning that he's ever seen. And I'm like, use the grid method. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's easy. Like, and so now I've been encouraged to use that to its fullest. And so after it being seen, but also too, I'm following for our teachers in four five years. So for me to come in and be very like, Hey, <laughs> What we gonna do is yeah. <laughs> what's gonna happen right now. <laughs> this, here, here, hold my coffee. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but after seeing the design process and learning habits of mind and the grid and project based learning and seeing that all put together, it is kind of sophisticated, but it's not hard. It's not hard to get there. Yeah. Um, but seeing it go through the stages, I think there were there's gonna be more interest in it. But it, I'm not changing the way I work at this point. It's gonna keep, it's gonna keep all of that agency accountable, like, like all of that student independent work and all of that independent design process and research and stuff. I'm gonna have to use the grid because it keeps everybody accountable, but it also ensures that they get what they need at that stage. And then if they need help and support in a greater way, I can step in. But I'm not just blanketing them with, here, let me do 80% of your work. Right. <laughs> uh, it's in the name of helping. I'm a really good helper. I'm an over helper, extra credit. Yeah, most teachers are. Most teachers want to help children, you know, and do, you know, and see kids be successful, which is fine, you know, but that can lead to sometimes helping too much, right? So extra credit. Extra credit. I'm so extra credit. <laughs> I'm an extra credit helper. Yeah. It's a fine balance. We got to let our kids, like my, like my AP said, we got to let our kids catch themselves from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I was in an IEP today, um, and one of the complaints that was made was, we don't understand why this student keeps turning in their work, but every answer is incorrect. And I just thought to myself, because he doesn't know it's wrong. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know that that is incorrect. He's coming to an answer. He's doing what is asked. He doesn't recognize that the answer yeah. isn't correct. He doesn't he doesn't recognize it. Well, and unfortunately, what happens to um, something I read um, about recent something I read recently about like when we do something a lot of times for the first time we think it's right even if it's wrong and so if we don't get the proper feedback on that it just becomes solidified like well that's right I guess because nobody told me it was wrong you know or nobody gave me feedback or nobody guided me towards 
the right answer. Oh, but I feel like we went right back to the beginning of when we're new teachers, do we not get proper feedback so we teach something because it's our first time teaching it mm-hmm. or we, oh, this one is heavy, or we discipline students with an infraction. You know, there's, a, there's something happens, mm-hmm. there's an infraction, and we discipline a certain way. And because there's no feedback on our methods or yeah. the way that we teach something, we just assume that that's the way we do things. And yeah. then it gets stuck. And right. it gets set. I mean, it happened to me. It happened to me. I taught 15 years. My nickname was the Dragon Lady. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, oh, I feel so terrible. But, like, the things that I had learned in a variety of school districts, from a variety of leaders, from a variety of other teachers... It all added up to, really, like, it was, it was so on point. My classroom management was so on point that it almost, again, stifled my students. Like, it was stifling. Like, it was overbearing. It was very strict. And I realized it my own self. I was holding my breath. I was holding my breath all day because I didn't want anything to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything to happen. Well, yeah, nothing happened. A whole lot of nothing happened. But then, like, this new program came in, and I looked at the research and went, hey, like, this might be really great. And for the past two years... That program, like, oh, I can breathe in a classroom. And I thought I had really great relationships with the kids, and I did. Like, my classroom was positive. It wasn't like, you know, Dante's Inferno. I don't want to (laughs) think that I was, like, this mean, horrible, hateful, awful person. Um, I just had very high expectations. And when you didn't meet those expectations, I was very disappointed And so, like, at some point, though, like, in the last two years, like, the the relationships I built with kids changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could breathe and relax in my classroom. I didn't feel like Atlas holding up the world and I was about to shrug. You know, I just, there was an ease. Um, I felt like kids coming into my room, like... My room felt really fun, mm-hmm. um, and it really was a place that the kids enjoyed being. The expectations were still really high, but working with kids to get those, you know, those success moments became so much easier because I had better relationships with kids. Um, also, too, like, I became a really safe place for kids Mm -hmm. and then I realized that because my room was so safe I was safe too and so I was like oh I it just felt so much better but again I had learned all of those management strategies I had learned all of those practices that I had in place you know in the beginning 
part of my career and I didn't get good feedback. Right. And in the last two years, you know where my feedbacks come from? Not administration. Not my, you know, campus leadership. Not other teachers even. It's come from my kids. So the feedback that I got from the kids changed from Oh, you're the greatest art teacher ever. Best art teacher ever. Like, how many little notes would I get like that? (laughs) Do you remember? They would just be all over my desk. Best art teacher ever. Right? To now, the feedback is, Oh, Miss T, you're so kind to us. Mm. Um, And they, they say things like, Well, our other teachers talk to us, but... Like, you spend time with us and you, like, actually listen to us. And, like, you, you, like, care about, like, our day and how we're doing. And, you know, so the feedback has changed for my kids. And that lets me know that I have a better practice now. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know... Before, it was like, oh, I almost feel like I stood up in front of that classroom and taught my class off, and they loved it, but the impact isn't carrying on with them outside of it. Like, they'll go on to another teacher and be like, oh, you're the best teacher ever, and and not really have a connection so this becomes more more meaningful because it takes because it's specific it takes me out of that like it's specific praise it's 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 not just you're so great it's hey you are kind to me yeah they've made a connection so when they remember you, even if you are not necessarily the best art teacher, they'll still remember you as being kind to them. Yes. Yeah. And my that's legacy more, has and, changed. And that's more important too in the long run. Yeah. I think it's more human. More human, yeah. And also too, I feel like there's a greater ratio of that. Like obviously after twenty years I've had kids come back and be like, Hey, you impacted my life. And, and in fact, I have one kid that has chosen to go into education because of being in my classroom. So, like, I got my one, right? Mm. Trained my replacement. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm t- ready to retire, there'll be a teacher coming yes, in. That's right. Um, and so, but what I told that kid was, I'm so excited because eventually I will be able to have a relationship with you colleague to colleague and it changes like your relationship deepens and it changes but in the last few years before this this new program came in that I really grabbed a hold of that changed my practice I don't know that any of those kids would come back and say oh I chose this because of my experience with you. I don't, I don't think, I think it was good quality education, but I don't think it was lasting to the point of changing a child's heart. Give us just good, solid education. Like, you know, 
So I feel like now there's a, it almost takes me off the rock star teacher platform, which I think is scary to some people. Like once they get up there, like the rock star teacher status, like anything that challenges your identity, whether for good or for bad is going to scare you. Yeah. So I, how many, you know, again, like I was bothered by the rock star teacher status. Anyway, it became the parade. Like I felt like, you know, I couldn't go anywhere, you know, kids would scream my name in parking lots and stuff. And, you know, which is great because, you know, it's wonderful, but it happens year after year after year, but then they're going to scream somebody else's name in a parking lot. So I felt like the connections I were, I was making were very much in the moment and for in the now, whereas now by coming down off of that rock star status and just being a decent human being to them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, let me just be a decent human being right now. So you are from this planet then, huh? <laughs> Basically. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but by just being a basic human being, I feel like there's something greater there. Yeah. Because it speaks to somebody's heart. It speaks to somebody's spirit that, like, hey, I truly care about you. Yeah. And, hey, I've been where you are. And I know some of it is, like, the big suck. But, like... But that's what we... That's really what we do it for is is to impact somebody's life. I've loved all of my kids. I've loved all of my classes. I have told kids for years, I love you. And I was never, like... The teacher who wanted to be hugged, like, oh, please don't hug me. Like, if I get paint on you, because some days I'm covered in paint. Or, like, I just am not mm-hmm. a hug teacher. Like, I just, oh, I'm not. It, it's a lot for me. And so, but I always told kids, I love you. And before they would leave on break, I would always tell them, like, and I would always do, like, a check in class, like, hey, you guys are about to be away from me for a week. Like, I'm not okay when I'm away from you. Like, I need to know that you're going to be safe and okay. And if you're about to go into a situation that is unsafe or food, you know, food isn't real secure there or if you, you know, don't have electricity or heat and, you know, you're going to be somewhere that you're not going to be safe, you need to let me know so that I can maybe, you know, reach out to some helpers. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I always told my kids I loved them. I always told them that I missed them. And it was very sincere. Now, they can feel it. Mm-hmm. They can feel that I care. And also, too, like, I realized, too, that in kind of switching my own mindset of, like, not necessarily the rock star, but, like, that idea of after 20 years, I got this. Like, I know what I'm doing. I kind of got this. Like, I, you know, I can do this well. Like, by switching over into this idea of of hustling kindness to steal a trademark, 
shout out to Hustle Kindness and Peaches Neat Feet. Um, but in, you know, in this idea of hustling kindness and changing the way I do things, it makes me more pleasant as a colleague. Um, it makes me more pleasant as a staff member. Um, and it makes, it just makes everything to me seem a little more enjoyable. Things don't get to me as as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also new ideas. I have new energy. So I'm not the teacher sitting at the back of the staff meeting just keeping their head down. You know, I have new ideas. I have new and I have new energy and I kind of want to be back in the mix of things. And it could just be that it's a new school too. Like, yeah. you know, new school, newness. Newness is good. Yes, it is. Cuz it brings new energy. Like and if you need some newness, start with a new pair of shoes. Start with start with a new pencil, start with a new something. Like maybe you need a new lunchbox, right? Remember at the beginning of school years? Well, you don't cuz you were homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the beginning of school years. It's all a blur. Just kidding. Um so like think about the students in your class. Those first day of yeah, school, no. they have the new backpack, new backpack that they're excited about. But I get like that now. I like, get that. Now. I get that now. Like, oh, it's a new school year. I need to go get new pens. They told us that there was yeah. a potential possibility that we might be going back to some face-to-face hybrid instruction. Was the first thing we did. Walked every aisle in the yeah. office, depot. office depot. I need a new stapler. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly found. Found, <laughs> yeah, I suddenly found borders to be very exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up this. Thanks for your conversation. I love talking to you about stuff like this. I always love talking to you about everything. So, yeah. It's probably why we're partners. Probably so. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the Shut Up and Teach podcast. I appreciate you listening. I hope that you uh, subscribe and give it a rating on whichever platform you are listening on right now. If you'd like to follow Tracy, you uh, can follow her on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, she is at Tracy L. Taylor. And Tracy is spelled with an E, so T-R-A-C-E-Y, so at Tracy L. Taylor. On Instagram, you can find her art page is, um, at uh, Tracy Taylor Fine Art. That's Tracy Taylor Fine Art. And on Facebook, if you search Tracy Taylor, you should be able to find her pretty well. That's all for this episode. I hope that you join us next time on the Shut Up and Teach podcast.